Hello? Okay, great. Okay, praise the Lord. Open up your Bibles to Exodus 1, 12 through 14, and then 1, 22, and then 2 through 10. Amen. So great to uh, celebrate before actual Christmas Day. I know that a lot of people are traveling, they're away on vacation, um, but I'm so glad you guys were able to make it. So it's great to have you guys here. But let us look at the word of God together. Again, Exodus 1, 12 through 14, and then 22 through chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, praise God. And then after that, we're going to look at Matthew 2, 14 through 15. Okay, this is God's word. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And then just come and to be reminded again of what you did for us, to perhaps get a greater insight into what you did for us and how much you loved us by coming down here as a little baby so that you may one day redeem us from our sins. And so, Lord God, we just want to celebrate and worship you today. And as we look ahead to tomorrow, Christmas Day, and this upcoming week, that we may continue in that mode of worship Father God, as we've been hearing every week during Advent season, we want to just draw near to you. We want to have intimacy with you, and we want uh, a fire relit in our, you speak, be with everyone online, we give you all the glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Today's a very special day, not only because it's Sunday when we worship the Lord, But it's also the day before Christmas, the most popular holiday in the world. Yes, it is still the most popular holiday. I remember when we went to missions in Japan, it wasn't even Christmas yet, and they were already putting up Christmas decorations in the summer, and they were getting ready to celebrate that way in the other part of the world. But all around the world, people love Christmas. 
And as wonderful as Christmas is, gathering with family and friends, eating and exchanging gifts, Christmas has increasingly become a very generic holiday. Again, when I went to Japan and saw how they were getting ready to celebrate out there, it was just very generic. It was hollowed out of its real meaning. You know, years ago, I remember a well-known Christian leader, he pointed out a Christmas ad from Bloomingdale's that said, Merry, Happy, Love, Peace. But it didn't say where true Mary, happy, love, and peace come from. And after seeing that ad, this is what that Christian leader said. These silly advertisements reflect ideas firmly planted in midair and proclaim no reason for the season. And that's true. We see this everywhere. People are celebrating Christmas. They talk about joy and peace and happiness, but, but in what? Based on what? Where is that coming from? Maybe some vague sense of goodness and joy found in family and friends, perhaps. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians also celebrate Christmas in this way. It's this kind of generic time to get together with family and friends and just kind of think of good things and eat good food. And yet, the message of Christmas, which Christians have celebrated throughout history, points to the true source for where all these things come from, joy, happiness, love, and peace. But the true message of Christmas really points to where it really flows from. It points to where the deepest needs and longings in the human heart, where they are met. And where it's met is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the source for everything that we need, and Christmas is celebrating that. Christmas is all about coming before Jesus, who will provide all the things that we need. And so we are here to celebrate Jesus, amen? So we're here to celebrate Jesus, who came as a little baby, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, a Jewish teenage girl. It's the celebration of this baby who would one day grow up to lay down his life upon a Roman cross and rescue sinners from life, uh, from sin and death, actually, and bring us eternal life and bring us into God's kingdom, So that is ultimately the Christmas message. This is why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came and kicked all of that off. It's to remember why Jesus came here and what he came to do. And hopefully to do it together with friends and family. Amen? So we're very thankful that you joined us here today. We're very glad to celebrate all of this together. So Christmas is not only about giving gifts to one another, which is good, but it's about really celebrating the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus' very own son given to us. So this is the true reason for Christmas. And so most of us, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this, and it's kind of an old message, and so it might even sound kind of tired at times. It's like, I've heard that before. I'm just going to get ready for Christmas tomorrow. But today what I want to do is look at again why Jesus came. I want to look at why exactly did he come here and what did he come to do? And I want to look at it a little differently. But I want us to look at Jesus' birth through the birth of another person, another deliverer. And that person is Moses. And Moses' birth and life and everything he accomplished ultimately points to Jesus, who is the true and better Moses. And the Bible deliberately makes that connection. This isn't just something I'm trying to do to make the Christmas message sound newer. But this is something the Bible deliberately 
connects together Moses with Jesus. Moses himself actually said, somebody one day just like me is going to come, but he's going to be greater than me. We read it earlier, Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And that was an important point at the end because they weren't listening to Moses. Moses oftentimes rebelled against Moses, but Moses was implying, but somebody greater than me is coming. And to him, you will listen. You should listen. So the Bible deliberately makes this connection between Moses and Jesus. But why, though? Why why should we look at Jesus' birth through the lens of Moses' birth? what, What is the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of looking at Jesus' birth through Moses is that it adds depth and fullness. So do we know the story of Jesus' birth? Yes, most of us grew up in the church. And it's clear, it's clear in our minds why he came. But when you see it through another story that's similar, that God put there, then suddenly things that you didn't see before, they come alive. The way I say it is, it's kind of like looking at a movie in 7020p, and then suddenly you see it in 4K. You know, I don't know why recently, but my kids started watching old 80s sitcoms like Family. We all saw TV back then, right? But now it's so crystal clear. Well, that's the way it is when you look at these old stories of Jesus' birth in the New Testament, but you see it through the fullness of the Old Testament as well. It's suddenly these same old stories become extra clear. It's kind of like going from black and white to now color. And so God intended it to be that way. So if you only read the story of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, is it clear? Yes, it's clear. Is it still very moving? Yes, very much. I remember one time, I've heard this before, but I remember when I was a college student reading about Jesus' birth in Luke chapter two at McDonald's, and something just came upon me. I remember just starting to cry into my French fries. I was just like, Jesus came and did this for me. But it was very moving just reading that account in the Gospel of Luke. I almost had to like finish my lunch early. I, I got out of there quick. <laughs> but when you begin to read it through even the slightly different lens, again, it's clearer, it's fuller. And so, in fact, this is what we've been doing this entire month, but we've been looking at Christ through the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, which is what Jesus did for his disciples on the road to Emmaus. But it says in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus himself did that in order to light a fire in their hearts because they were discouraged. So today we're going to look at the Old Testament again, and we're going to see hopefully Jesus even more clearly. And we're going to see the same story in a clearer, fuller way. And what we see when we begin to look at the Old Testament is that Jesus is the true and better Moses. They were born in a very similar way under similar circumstances. They were both sent by God to deliver his people from bondage. They were both led by God to bring his people out of slavery in a great exodus. They both led God's people to inherit the promised land and the promises of God. See, they were very similar. And yet, everything Moses did, Jesus did better in a fuller way. He is the true and better Moses. So today we're going to see Jesus through the story of Moses, and we're going to see in particular the need for a deliverer, 
the coming of our deliverer, and finally, the work of our precious deliverer. This is all part of that Christmas story. So first, the need for a deliverer. The need for a deliverer. When you look at how Moses was born and what he was born into, and then Jesus as well, it's so clear. There was a desperate need for a deliverer. But both Moses and Jesus were born during very dark times. But that is why their stories really shine. This is why we love these stories. But it's because it was in the backdrop, against the backdrop of a very dark time. You know, during Christmas, I love kind of walking around our neighborhood. Well, I don't really walk that much driving. I like driving around our neighborhood. My kids and my wife do more walking than I do. But I love looking at the lights because at night, as the sun goes down, the lights, what? They all turn on and they begin to glow. And in fact, our entire city begins to glow with all the Christmas lights. But why are they so pretty? Well, it's because they come out in the dark against the darkness. Well, the stories of Jesus' birth and Moses' birth are the same, but they really shine because both of them came in dark surroundings, in dark surroundings. It says in Exodus 1, 12 through 14, but the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and all their work. You know, I don't know why my iPad's having problems. <laughs> in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So these Israelites were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the people of promise. They were the people of God and they had been promised by God to be blessed God promised to bless them with land and descendants and God's very own presence so that one day they would ultimately be a blessing to all the nations through a Messiah that would come from their very own people. And did that happen? Amen. That's why we're all here today. That's why there are millions and billions of Christians around the world celebrating Christmas. It's because we have received that blessing. But these are the people who inherited that great promise that all these things would happen. But fast forward 300 years from Abraham's time, and now these people of promise and blessing, they're slaves. It's a very dark time. And they're not living in the promised land, but now they were ripped out of that place, and now they are in a foreign land. They weren't actually ripped out. They were just brought into this foreign land, but now they are living off the promised land as slaves. And the story of how they got there as traced through Joseph's life in Genesis 37 through 50. We don't have time to look at Joseph's life. You can look at that on your own. But Joseph was one of the children of Jacob, one of the great-grandchildren of Abraham. But Joseph basically was sent by God into Egypt to be a blessing to the Egyptians. And then after Joseph became the prince of Egypt and the savior of Egypt, he brought his entire family, all the Israelites, into Egypt to live with him. So the Jews settled in Egypt. So there they are living together with Joseph. And there God kept his promise and they began to multiply. Okay, they became like the stars in the sky. They became so numerous, they filled huge portions of Egypt. Entire sections of Egypt began to get filled with the Israelites. And then the Bible says in Exodus 1.8, another Pharaoh rose up after Joseph died who did not know Joseph. He had no idea what had happened before. 
But all he knew is, who are all these Israelites in our land? How did they get here? And why are they multiplying so many of them? And he became threatened by them. And he decided, you know what? We'll enslave them. So he enslaved them. And so now, more than 300 years of slavery had gone by. And this is where we picked up in our passage. And the Israelites were groaning under the weight of their slavery. There were entire generations of Jews who were born, they lived, and they died as slaves. So think about that. You know, this is kind of like an odd connection. I remember making uh, this past week, but... Oddly enough, when the Africans were brought to this continent as slaves, they were also enslaved here for 400, around 400 years, just like the Israelites. But for them as well, they lived, many of them, their entire lives, they lived, they died as slaves. And so were their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. So these were the grandparents were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their children were slaves. Their grandchildren were slaves. This was generational bondage under the crushing rule of the greatest power of the earth at that time, the Egyptians. So what are we we looking at here? This was hopeless. This was an utterly hopeless situation. This was the darkness that Moses was born into. And you know what's so interesting? When Isaiah the prophet was looking hundreds of years into the future and making a prophecy about another deliverer, a greater deliverer than Moses, the Messiah. This is what he said about the Messiah's birth. Isaiah 9.2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. So did you hear that? So first, it says Jesus' birth is going to be like a bright light that's going to come and shine. But notice where Jesus was going to be born. In a land of deep darkness. So this is the same as Moses. Just like Moses, Jesus would have great darkness. And slavery, but a different kind of slavery. So Jesus was born about 1,400 years after Moses. So the Jews were no longer in Egypt. They were no longer physically enslaved. But they were now under a different kind of slavery. And a different kind of darkness. So let me just mention quickly. What kind of darkness we're talking about? First, there was political darkness and slavery. It says in Luke 1.5 and 2.1, Jesus was born in the days of Herod, king of Judea. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So here, the nation of Israel was under the crushing rule of the Romans. So just like Moses, they were under the crushing enslavement of the Egyptians. Now the Israelites were under the crushing rule of the Romans. And because of that, the Jews were all split up and divided into different groups. They're trying to interact and deal with the situation in different ways. So some groups were sucking up to the Romans, trying to be their best friends. Others were violently trying to overthrow the Romans. Others were just isolating themselves away from the Romans and let's just cling to our religion. But there were all these different groups dividing up Israel and there was political darkness. This was the time Jews was born. So very dark. Here's another kind, moral darkness and slavery. There was moral darkness. But the first century Roman world is well known for immorality. You know, Tertullian, he was one of the early church fathers. He lived in the second century. But he talked about how common abortions were in the Roman world. They didn't even think abortion was immoral. 
back in ancient Rome, but everyone from slaves to royalty, they practiced abortion. If they got pregnant, had a baby, they didn't have birth control, they would just say, oh, kill the baby. Leave it outdoors overnight. They also said homosexuality was also widely accepted in practice, especially among the elites, people in power, but it was very common spread, uh, you know, widespread. Transgenderism was also very common in the Roman world. The early church father, Clement of Rome, wrote about how widespread transgenderism had become in his own city. So this is nothing new. But he complained uh, one time about all these biological males walking around the city who, quote unquote, detested the bloom of manliness. So he saw that and he was complaining about it. Now, the Jews wouldn't have accepted any of that, but this is the culture that they were living in. I mean, this is ancient Rome. It wasn't just a bunch of Jews, you know, worshiping the Old Testament God and going to church. But this is the culture they lived in, just like today. On top of that, the poor were also oppressed. They were being taken advantage of. We see this with Joseph and Mary when they were rejected by the innkeeper. So we read that earlier during the call to worship. But they had nowhere to go. It was very packed, the city of Bethlehem, because of the festivals and the Passover. And so they had nowhere to go. And Mary obviously was pregnant, and they're knocking on every door, and these innkeepers are like, "Mm, yeah, you look very poor. There's no room for you. Maybe if you had a lot of money, we'll make some room. But no room for the poor. Sorry. So back then, there was even oppression of the poor. So again, all of this should sound familiar because this is our world and it hasn't changed very much in 2,000 years. So not only was there a lot of political darkness and division, there was moral darkness, immorality rampant. Third, there was also spiritual darkness and slavery. But in Matthew's gospel, we see an all-out satanic attack to kill Jesus when he was born. We're gonna look at that in a little bit. Same thing happened when Moses was born. There was an all-out satanic attack to wipe out all the Jewish boys, including Moses. So Satan was large and at loose in the world when Jesus came. Satan was dominating this world. Again, just like today. But it was a demon-possessed world, literally. Once Jesus was here and he began to do ministry, he encountered again and again demon-possessed people. Why? Because Satan was controlling this world. So there was great spiritual darkness filling the land, but there was another kind of spiritual darkness. It was just as deadly. But for 400 years between the Old and New Testaments, Bible scholars say that the word of God was absent among the Jewish people. There was not one prophecy, not one new revelation. There was nothing. In fact, the people during that intertestamental time, they even lamented, they even complained, saying, oh God, where are you? It's kind of like the heavens have shut up. The heavens have become like bronze, someone said. So there was no word of God. So God hadn't spoken to them for 400 years. There were no prophets, no new revelations. Even the Old Testament they did have was no longer understood. They didn't understand it. And so they didn't know God. They had no intimacy with God. They weren't walking with God. Again, that sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? How many people truly know the word of God? Even people who go to church, we've said this many times here, but even people who go to church, you just get like a quick little lesson on how to have a better marriage or how to be happier at work, and then you go home. And you don't learn the word of God. And so even today, for those who even go to church, there is no word of God. 
So where is God? There's no understanding of God. There's no intimacy with God. So this is another kind of spiritual darkness that Moses was born into, but also Jesus. This was the world that they came into. So for 400 years, the people lived in spiritual darkness and slavery. So again, I just want to make this clear. That meant no spiritual revivals, no calls to repentance, no displays of God's power, no growth in holiness, nothing. No genuine community with God or others. I mean, they were just living their own lives with a few exceptions. But by and large, people were in darkness. And then finally, let me mention one more. There was personal darkness in slavery. Personal darkness. So ultimately, all of this darkness and slavery we looked at comes from a deeper darkness that's found in all of us. There's a darkness and slavery inside each of us, which is the darkness and slavery of sin. You know, D.A. Carson, I I really like him, but he was writing about the Gospel of John, and this is what he said. Because John, in the first chapter, talks a lot about light. But Carson said, the darkness is not merely absence of light, but positive evil. So again, darkness isn't just, oh, there's not goodness here. No, it's positive evil. Darkness is the world of evil, hatred of both the truth and the neighbor, unbelief and blindness, death, and that which is under judgment. All of that is darkness. So that's what we're talking about, this personal darkness. So to put it simply, the darkness and slavery surrounding Jesus' birth was the darkness and slavery of sin and unbelief. See, this is much deeper than, oh yeah, there's some bad things in the world. No, this is inside of me. This is inside of you and all of us. There is darkness. And you know what the Bible says? People love this darkness. It's not like, oh, get it out of me. No, they embraced it. They love it. John 3, 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men and women love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So this is the most hopeless situation of all when I think about all the darkness and the slavery in the world. It's the one in me. It's really the the one in me. You know, I'm an older man now and as I grow older every year, I grow a little bit more discouraged and encouraged. I'm encouraged in God, right? I, I, I love the Lord. I love walking with him. I'm blessed by him. But when I'm on my own though, sometimes when I forget about God or I'm just kind of trying to do things on my own, I get very discouraged. And the reason why is because the biggest struggle I face is not a lack of resources. It's not me, you know, dealing with relationships or maybe, you know, missing some opportunities. That's not my biggest struggle. But you know what it is? It's me. It's my own character. It's the things that I know I should do, but I don't do. It's the things that I know I should stop doing, but I keep doing, just like Paul said in Romans 7. But it's that. It's me, right? I'm the most discouraging thing in my life. And if any of you are looking and you're honest, then you would say the same thing. It's you. You're the biggest hindrance to yourself. You're the biggest problem to yourself, just like me. And so the most discouraging thing in our lives, the deepest darkness and slavery is within. It is inescapable outside of Christ. And so that was the real problem in Moses' day. That was the problem in Jesus' day. That's the problem in our day. This is the situation. It is this darkness and slavery that is inescapable. You know, last week we were looking at the life of Jacob and we talked about how you can't bless yourself, right? 
because Jacob tried to bless himself. I mean, he was a deceiver, trying to manipulate all kinds of things to bless himself. Well, you can't. It will always fall short. You can't bless yourself. Well, today we see something a little different. You can't deliver yourself. You can't save yourself. No matter how much you try to change yourself, oh, this upcoming year, 2024, New Year's resolution. Yeah, go ahead, make them. I'm not discouraging you, but chances are not much is gonna change. Incremental things, right? You'll change like the rearrangement of the plants in your house, figuratively speaking, but you're not gonna have any fundamental change in your life that's gonna take you to a completely new place. And even if you do, those things are just still surface level because what about the deepest things in life? What about spiritual things? What about God? What about the deepest things? Okay, we can't change. Okay, we can't escape the situation. So neither can we bless ourselves. You can't deliver yourself either. We cannot deliver ourselves. Why? Because of this darkness and slavery. So this is all inescapable. And not only that, but like the Israelites in Moses' day, God's promises to be with God and know God. God's promises to receive his abundance and eternal life are out of reach all on our own. Okay, we can't get these things on our own. And why do I say that? Well, when you look at Moses' situation with the Israelites, these Israelites were the people of promise. They were the people of blessing, but were they able to get that blessing on their own? Were they able to get out of that situation and go back to the promised land? Were they able to you know, make a big change? No, impossible. They were in bondage. And so they had no path to the promised land. They were stuck there. They would have stayed there another 400 years if nothing changed. And we would be the same. Okay, we have no path to God. We have no path to the promised land. Why? Because we cannot deliver ourselves. We are under bondage on our own. Okay, we cannot fulfill the promises of God on our own. We can't find that abundant life, that eternal life. We can't do it. So again, we cannot bless ourselves, nor can we save ourselves. And in the same way the Israelites needed a deliverer, we also need a deliverer. Amen? See, I know this sounds like a lot of bad news on Christmas Eve day. (laughs) But stick with me, because this is actually good news. Because until you realize the bad news, until you realize the hopelessness of your situation, you're not going to truly appreciate Christmas. Christmas is just another day to have good food and open some gifts. And then get a little break before work on January 1, right? But if you truly understand our situation and the hopelessness, and even this past week, I was going through some stuff as I'm preparing for the new year, and I, and I kind of ran into some discouragement. It's like, gosh, Lord, why do things always happen? I feel discouraged again, right? Well, as I dwelt on that situation, but what God had done, there's gratitude. So until you understand our true situation, the true hopelessness without Christ, You don't truly appreciate what Christ did when he came. So in the same way the Israelites needed a deliverer, we also need a deliverer. And God who always hears the groans of his people, he will send his deliverer. So this is the great hope of Christmas, that God has already sent his deliverer to us. His name is Jesus. So again, Moses beautifully foreshadowed this. So as you look at the story of Moses, you begin to realize, my goodness, this is what God did in the most hopeless of situations. 
So God said to Moses in Exodus 3, 9, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send you. So God saw that. Do you know God sees your situation as well? It might not be as hopeless as the Israelites or in Jesus' day, the Jews, or maybe even me. (laughs) You're like, you sound kind of hopeless, right? (laughs) It might not seem as hopeless as any of that. But if you're facing something, do you know God sees it? God sees it. It says, now behold, I hear and I see the cry of my people. It has come up to me. I'm going to send you in the same way God has sent our deliverer. Amen? He has sent our deliverer. So this brings us to the second point, the coming of our deliverer. The coming of our deliverer. So we just saw how there were similar circumstances leading up to Moses and Jesus' birth, right? Leading up to their birth, there were similar circumstances. Well, they also came into the world under very similar circumstances. When they were actually born, it was also very similar. So first, looking at Moses, he was born under the threat of death. If you look at Exodus 1.22, and then looking at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. So right there, Exodus 1 tells us that the Jews were under this threat of death. Every Jewish boy that was going to be born, Pharaoh said, you know what? I'm sick of you guys. You guys are multiplying too fast. There's too many of you. I want every Jewish boy to be killed. So he commanded, actually, the midwives, you know, the nurses that helped give birth to the Jewish boys, He commanded them, kill the Jewish boys. But it says in Exodus 117, the Jews refused to obey Pharaoh's order. Why? Because they feared God. They feared God. And so Moses' parents, also fearing God, refused to throw their new baby boy into the Nile. They wouldn't do it. And by the way, if fearing God is what kept the Jews from killing their babies back then, it's not hard to see why people kill their babies today. It's the lack of fear of God. The lack of fear of God is what causes people to kill their babies today. Well, the Jews were the opposite. They feared God, so they wouldn't kill their babies. So the Jews feared God, and they would not kill their baby boys. And so Jochebed, Moses' mother, hid her baby boy for three months. So this is what saved and preserved his life. And when it got too hard eventually to hide him because he kept getting bigger, now he's making more and more noise, it says she took another step of faith. And by the way, faith always takes risk. This was a big risk on her part and on the baby. But she decided, you know what, I'm going to try to get this baby to be taken in by the Egyptians. So it says in Exodus 2.3, when Jochebed could hide him no more, talking about Moses, baby Moses, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. You know, by the way, you know all those movies about Moses' life? They always, like, show uh, Jochebed taking the basket and throwing it into the river. And the, it's like, that's not what happened. It's like, that's crazy. Who would do that, right? Throw a baby into the river and, like, let it float down. She carefully placed the basket among the reeds. 
okay? It didn't float down the river with crocodiles and all that. That's just a cartoon. <laughs> she carefully placed the basket in the reeds where the Egyptians would come out to bathe. So she put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister, so this is Moses' sister, Miriam, she would have been like a girl, like 10 years old, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And then right there, we're not going to read it, but at that moment, Moses' sister Miriam ran up to the princess and said, oh, you found a baby. I'll help you find a nurse for the baby. And Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, that's a good idea. So then Miriam uh, Miriam ran back home, got the mom of that baby, right, Moses' mom, and said, here's a nurse. She can help you. And so then it all worked out where Pharaoh's daughter passed the baby on to the actual mother, thinking this is just a nurse. And Moses' mom began to raise her own child until he got old enough to be sent back to Pharaoh's daughter, who then adopted Moses. And now Moses got brought into the palaces of Egypt. So this is an amazing story. But under the great threat of death, this is how Moses was born. He was born. So here, Moses was born to lowly parents in the most humble circumstances. He was placed inside a basket in the hopes of saving his life. He then got adopted and grew up with two different identities. He belonged to two different worlds, right? He was in the Jewish world, but he was also in the Gentile world. He was also known as a Jew, but also as a Gentile. So this was Moses. All of that was necessary if he was going to do his work as a deliverer. Well, why is this important? Because all of it is a foreshadow of how another deliverer was going to come in the same way. Right? This is kind of giving us a fuller picture. Again, it's kind of going from black to now black and white to color. But all of this foreshadowed the way Jesus, the true and better Moses, would be born. So quickly, Jesus was also born to lowly parents, right? They weren't slaves like Jochebed and her husband, but they were also very lonely, very poor, under the oppression of the Romans. He was also born into very lowly circumstances, Instead of being placed in a basket after birth, he was placed in a manger, in a barn. A manger is where they put, you know, feed and corn so that animals come and eat out of it. But that's where Jesus was placed. It says in Luke 2, 4 through 7, And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So here's Jesus. Very similar to Moses. He was also born with two different identities. He belonged to this world, but he also belonged to heaven. He was called the son of man later in his life, but also the son of God. He was both truly God, but also truly man. So he had two identities as well. And like Moses, that was very important. It was necessary if he was going to do his work as the deliverer. Because one day he was going to die as our substitute. Amen? This is why he came. This is the rich story of Christmas. But he came so that he would one day take our place as fully God and fully man. He had to be fully God to become an acceptable sacrifice before God, pure, without sin. But he also had to be fully man. Why? So that he could take our place. Right? A perfect dog or a perfect dolphin couldn't take our place. It had to be a perfect man. So this is why Jesus had both identities. Same thing like Moses. Moses had to be both Egyptian and Jew if he was going to be their deliverer. 
So this was Jesus. And finally, Jesus was also born under the threat of death, under the threat of death, just like Moses. And the Bible bends over backwards to make that connection clear. Matthew 2.16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who, who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. So that's a prophecy from Jeremiah 31.15, which Matthew said was fulfilled by Herod. But Herod, in his you know, crazy, insane pride, wanted to kill this new Messiah baby who was born, supposedly. He began to kill all the Jewish boys in Bethlehem, two years and under. And when he did that, he fulfilled prophecy. So King Herod wanted the baby Christ dead. He couldn't have anybody competing against him for the throne. So he used the wise men to try to locate the baby. But when Herod realized the wise men found the baby and then never came back to tell him where the baby was, he became furious. And so he took the matter into his own hands. He decided to kill all the baby boys born in Bethlehem, two years and under. And he thought to himself, if I do that, I'm going to cast a big enough net to try to catch this so-called baby Messiah. And so this was the fulfillment of prophecy. And so why are we looking at this? Because, again, the Bible is bending over backwards to say, look, look at what happened to Moses. Well, now a new and better Moses is here. Same thing happened when Jesus was born. Exact same circumstances. So what are all these similarities telling us? Well, here's what God is saying. Jesus is the true and better Moses, amen? Jesus, when he finally came, came under the very same circumstances as the first Moses. But when he came, he came to lead a new Israel through a new exodus, a far greater exodus out of a far greater slavery. This is who Jesus is, and the Bible bends over backwards to make that connection. The new Moses is here to bring a new exodus, to gather a new people of God, and to bring them into a new promised land. One day to new heavens and a new earth. And so everything that Moses came and began to do, Jesus now came to complete it. So again, this is the old Christmas story now in 4K. It's in color. But this is why Jesus came. So tomorrow morning, as you guys gather, as you guys are eating pumpkin pie, I don't know what you guys eat at your home, maybe turkey, I don't know what you guys eat. That's more Thanksgiving, right? But Christmas morning, you're going to be eating food, opening gifts, and maybe you might have a time. I encourage you, have a time where you get to, in order to usher a new people into a greater promised land. And so this brings us to our final point, and we're going to close with this. But the work of our deliverer. The work of our deliverer. But it says in Exodus 2.10, when the child grew up, Jochebed, the mother, brought Moses to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So here, Moses now was brought to the princess and she called him Moses. Why? Because he was drawn out of the water. And in a way, that kind of defined his life. But everything that happened to Moses from that point on was not something he wanted to do. He tried to do some things. I'll mention it in a moment. 
He tried to make things happen, but ultimately, everything that he ultimately did for God was drawn out of him. He was drawn into it. So Moses, ultimately, when he came as the deliverer of the Jews, he did not come out of his own will and his own power. But in the same way he was drawn out of the Nile, God would draw Moses out of the wilderness to become his deliverer. Because after growing up in the palace, he saw the mistreatment of his own people. He tried to be his own deliverer, but it didn't work. It failed. He tried to deliver his own people and his own power. So what basically happened is he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Jew. So he said, I'm going to deliver them right now. And he went and killed that Egyptian. And he hid the body. And then a few days later, he saw two Jews arguing. He tried to break it up. And the Jews said, who are you? Who made you prince over us? You're not our ruler or deliverer or anything, right? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And when he heard that, he freaked out. He's like, people saw it. They know. And so he fled. He ran away and went to the wilderness in Midian. And it was there where God met him in the mountains of Midian. And he drew Moses out. He drew him out. I like how Ed Clowney said, the living God, he's not like a genie of Aladdin's lamp. Okay, what do you do with a genie? You've seen the movies, right? You rub the lamp and you summon the genie. Oh, genie, give me three wishes. No, God is not like that. God is not the genie of Aladdin's lamp. Rather, he is the one who summons us, right? He summoned Moses, not Moses who summoned him. And so this is what happened in the wilderness is God summoned Moses. And so Moses, although he tried to be the deliverer, he couldn't do it on his own. God drew him out. He drew him out of the Nile when he was a baby. And now he drew him out of the wilderness to be the deliverer. And brothers and sisters, in the fullness of time, this is what God did with his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear when he was here. He's like, I did not come here on my own accord. This is not my idea. This is not my own plan. But the father sent me. I just obeyed what the Father sent me to do. He came here summoned by the Father in obedience to the Father. And so all of this is God's plan. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so brothers and sisters, why is this so important that this is all God's plan? The reason why is because when you go back to the story of the Exodus, and then you see the story of what Jesus came to do for us, You know what God was doing? He was making good on his promise. I like what one Bible scholar said, but he said the exodus is the covenant promises in action. And I love that. And when Jesus finally came, many hundreds of years after Moses, or thousands of years, I should say, this was also God making good on his promises. And so Christmas, this is another beautiful, hopeful message of Christmas, is that it's not just, oh yeah, Jesus came as a baby, how cute, and then he died for me, and one day I'll go to heaven. No, it is everything God has said in his word. All the promises are yes in Christ. Yes and amen in Christ. And God ultimately showed that he will make good on every promise. Why? Because he made good on the ultimate promise. He sent the deliverer to come and rescue us. So in the same way he summoned Moses out of the wilderness to make good on every promise for the Jews. You know, earlier I said they had no path to the promised land. They were trapped in Egypt. They were slaves. They had no way to fulfill the promises of God. They were slaves. In the same way God summoned Jesus now, you go now. Go back to Egypt. Go into the world. Like Moses, 
Go into the world, I summon you to make good on every promise. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're facing during this season. Maybe there are a lot of struggles in your life. You know, this past week, I was talking to the director of Dale Center. We were having a good talk. Um, I was giving you know, some gifts to the staff. And she asked, saying, hey, uh, Pastor Roy, do you have some resources, some counselors that you know of? And I said, oh, uh, why? And the reason why, well, she was reminding me of finding a counselor. And she said, the reason why I really want to find some is because during the holidays in particular, things get very kind of dark for people, right? They struggle a lot, especially the seniors. They struggle a lot. And so she said, you know what? Um, Yeah, we want to have some counseling available for the seniors. So if you know of any, please let me know. By the way, if you're a counselor, I might come and talk to you. (laughs) But maybe you're facing a situation like this. The holidays can be dark. I don't think there's anything about the holidays that make it dark. I think it just highlights what's already dark. It highlights what is already not there. And if that is you, I want to encourage you that God makes good on his promises. Again, he is the one who summoned Moses to go into Egypt. He's the one who summoned his son to come into the world. But then to do what? To bring a great exodus. So if you look at Exodus 12, 40 through 41, after Moses was sent to Egypt, there were great signs and wonders. And by the way, Moses, unlike when he first tried to deliver the the Israelites, the second time he went, he didn't do it in his own strength but he came in weakness. He actually didn't want to deliver anybody. He's like, I'm I'm fine, I'm in retirement. But God sent him anyway in weakness. So here he is now, a man who was rejected by his own people. He comes in weakness and yet God works in signs and wonders. And then eventually Pharaoh lets them go. And then this is what it says, Exodus 1240. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. There was a great exodus. They came out. And then it says in Luke 9, 30 through 31, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus' departure. And you know what that word is right there? It's also exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So there was a great exodus among the Israelites in Exodus 12. Clearly, there came a day when they exited Egypt. Well, in Luke 9, we read of another exodus. But the true and better Moses, Jesus came to bring another exodus. Again, it says here, two men appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, and they spoke about Jesus' departure. And the Greek word there is exodon, based on the word exodus. It's exactly the same word. They talked about the exodus, his exodus. Not talking about his departure, but what he would do, right? The, the departure he would bring for all the people, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so the reason why God summoned them and sent them is so that they would bring this amazing exodus. Exodus out of what? Everything we looked at earlier, all the sin and slavery in darkness, everything that we cannot escape from ourselves, all the things that we are condemned by, we are judged by. You know, I, I love this, but for the Jewish people, the moment they came out of the Exodus, from that moment on, do you know that defined their lives? Do you guys have something like that in your life? Do you have something that defines your life? Because God has done such a powerful work, but from that moment on, it defines you. 
But all throughout the scriptures, from the moment the Exodus happened, from that moment on, the Jewish people constantly refer back to the Exodus. D.A. Carson actually talks a lot about this in his writings. But the prophets talked about the Exodus. The Psalms, they repeatedly you know, bring up the Exodus. Even when they were in exile in Babylon and came back, they called it the Exodus. We had an Exodus from Babylon. Everything was the Exodus. It defined salvation for them. Well, now, brothers and sisters, we have a greater Exodus. You know, in the same way that we talk a lot about being gospel-centered, right, Christ-centered, Christians talk about that a lot, Christ-centered, the Jews, they would have talked about being Exodus-centered. Okay, we're Exodus-centered. Well, maybe we can talk about that as well. We're also Exodus-centered. Okay, that's what the cross is talking about. That's what it's pointing to. It has brought a great Exodus for us. So God, he sent his very own son on Christmas Day. By the way, Jesus was not actually born on Christmas, probably more summer or early fall. But this is the day the world has chosen to celebrate Jesus' birth. But on Christmas Day, God sent his son. He summoned him to come into this world in order to bring this great exodus. And so in the same way, Moses eventually led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and eventually brought them into the promised land. Jesus came to bring a much greater exodus. And here's why it was much greater. It's because Moses, he brought the Israelites out of a physical slavery, amen? That was good. But after they left Egypt, you know what you begin to notice? Is all through the book of Numbers and their wanderings in the wilderness, Egypt was still inside of them, <laughs> right? They wanted to go back. They kept talking about going back. Okay, they, they, they were not freed of slavery from within. They were freed from physical slavery on the outside, but they weren't freed from the slavery on the inside to their sin. And not only that, but Moses himself, the great deliverer, because of his own sin, couldn't enter the promised land. And so we know that if you grew up hearing the stories. But Moses himself couldn't go in. But we have a much greater Moses, amen, who not only brings us out of physical things, bringing physical freedom, but he brings freedom on the inside, on the inside. You know, again, going back to that director I was talking to earlier this week, you know, I, I told her, yeah, definitely. You know, I wanna try to provide some counselors for you and the seniors, but, but I told her, but it has to be Christ-centered, right? It has to be based on what God has done because otherwise you're just gonna go back. You're not gonna be truly freed on the inside. Well, Jesus has freed us, amen? Jesus has freed us. So brothers and sisters, on this Christmas Eve day, this is the great Christmas story. This is what Jesus came to do. And hopefully tomorrow morning as you begin to gather with your family and celebrate, this is what you're gonna worship and celebrate Jesus for, amen? So let's just come before the Lord and let's just bow our heads. But Jesus is such a great redeemer, so much greater than even what Moses accomplished. Moses, he left his kingly palace involuntarily and he had to be brought back. But our redeemer, our deliverer, voluntarily left his palaces in heaven because he wanted to be here. He wanted to come. Moses, as the deliverer, never walked into the promised land but our deliverer 
he's from there. And he came down here to now lead us back to where he is. And so we have such a great deliverer. And now if you come to Jesus, you will have a great power come into your life to begin to live for God, to begin to walk with him. God has changed you. You know, I wasn't going to actually share this, but I, I just got reminded of this. I saw this past week how God even today is bringing a great exodus for people, a spiritual exodus. You might have heard this, but with all the chaos happening in the Middle East right now, in Israel and Palestine, there's been some amazing testimonies coming out. Now, I haven't verified this story, but there was a professor at a Christian university, I believe it's Houston Christian College. His name is Michael Lacona, but he posted on his social media that he has been communicating with ministers in Palestine, Christian ministers in Palestine. And supposedly, recently, maybe this past week or recently, 200 Palestinian men who were Muslim, they came to faith in Christ all together. And according to this Christian professor, he said the reason why is because they all had a dream about Jesus on the same night. Coming to them and revealing himself to them. And he said in his little post that many of these men, they lost everything. They lost their entire families, their homes, all their children were killed. They lost everything. These are Palestinian Muslim men. And maybe they cried out to the only God they knew, which is false. And yet God, the true God, heard, heard their cry, just like the Israelites. Maybe they heard. He heard their cry. And if what this Christian professor posted is true, then there is a great exodus that happened. Amen? So let's just come before the Lord. This is, this is powerful, powerful testimony of what the gospel can do, what Jesus came to do. Jesus. He wants to bring an exodus in your life, a much greater exodus than even for the Jews. Thank you, Lord God. So let's just spend a moment before him. Let's just come before him right now and just praise God. Let's thank God. You can maybe even ask God, God, give me a little bit of a new perspective Okay, today's comparison helped a little, but, but even more than that, maybe flesh it out even more. You can ask God, God, please show me more what you came to do. How did you bring this exodus? I mean, how, what, what does that exactly look like in my life? You can even pray that prayer, but let, let's just come before the Lord.